This is the Education Gadfly Show. Uh, just uh, you, you've at least expressed pessimism in the same way that it's, Checker has. It's for good many, for him. It's good for him. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please welcome our special guest for this week, the original Education Gadfly, Checker Finn. Hello. Hello, Checker. Also joining us, a, a more recent uh, Education Gadfly and curmudgeon. David Griffith. Still learning my craft. Thank you, Mike. Yes, excellent. Good. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, I, I mean, come on. Everybody knows, right? Checker is distinguished senior fellow and president emeritus at the Fordham Institute. If you don't know, A founder you know. of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, Something so to like speak, that. Along with uh, Diane Ravitch. Uh, and a lot of other disreputable folks. Yeah, all right. Yes, yourself included. So, uh, speaking of disreputable, we are going to get right to it this week, and we're going to talk about Elizabeth Warren's education plan. Let's Ooh, do yes. it in Ed Reform Update. All right, I should point out that we, as a nonprofit organization, do not take positions on presidential candidates, but we are allowed under the IRS uh, regulations to weigh in on uh, things that we study and have some expertise on. Education, we think, is one of those areas. And so we are allowed to look at presidential candidates' plans and tell people what we think of them. Uh, so without uh, indicating uh, anything beyond the quality of the plan itself, Checker, now that I've made the lawyers happy, what do you think? You like this plan? I actually have yet to see a candidate's plan this year that I like. Yes. Uh, this is the earliest big one, let's say. The earliest sort of fully fledged, elaborate, and fully fledged uh, 800 gazillion dollars, um, billion actually, uh, to uh, apparently pander to adult interests in the schools and undo most of the reforms that uh, we've been in favor of for the last 20 years. I should say, I think it is the last uh, plan. I mean, all the other candidates have at least had something to say about K-12 education. But she, not with a big, splashy, comprehensive sort right. of thing like this. All right. I, you know, we've that's right. We've seen some other plans out there. I mean, Kamala Harris had a big, uh, big plan on teacher salaries. Joe Biden's put some stuff out. Uh, I mean, they've all got something to say. But you're right. This is... Uh, I think what was the 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 uh, price tag was something huge. I mean, eight hundred billion is what eight hundred billion what over ten years. Yes, yeah, un- incredible. A lot of that comes from something like tripling Title One funding and adding twenty billion a year to special ed in its current form, and and th- those are the big ticket items actually. Okay, uh, but it isn't just the spending on not very successful programs that mm-hmm. she wants to do more of. It's also undoing things like. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like charter schools and school accountability and uh, uh, charter school freedom to be different and things like that. So it's it's not just what she wants to do more of. It's yeah. also what she wants to do less of. All right. Well, let's dig in a little bit here. So on charter schools, she says she basically wants to get rid of the charter school program that goes that provides startup funds for the charters. federal program. The federal right. program. Kaput. Uh, she would wants to find a way to get rid of for-profit charter schools. Kaput. Not sure how you do that from a federal level. And she wants districts to be the only authorized. And districts to be the only like authorized. like Which, again, is not something you can really do from the federal level, probably. But, what, David, what is she trying to do here? I mean, this is, whether it's doable or not, she seems to be sending a very clear signal uh, to what uh, voters in the Democratic side of the aisle? What is she trying to say, Mike? I'm so glad you asked me that question. Nothing gives me more joy than discussing this plan in the current <laughs> historical moment. Uh, well, here's my take. I think it is um, the way I see it. Uh, she is going to have a hard time getting Biden voters. Yeah, um, and she is uh, potentially very much in the running for Bernie voters, yeah. uh, whether or not they're willing to admit it at this stage in the game. 
Um, and so I think those voters are attracted to the ideas in this plan. Yeah. Um, and I think so she's making a play for them and wants to get them sooner rather than later. Um, and mm. I think that as with so many issues, um, you know, there are people who will care about this more than any other issue. Um, and most, if you, mostly teacher union mostly types. Mostly teacher union types who whose votes count just as much as yours right. and mine, Checker. Uh, and, well, and, 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 and the people who disagree with her yeah. strongly are either a tiny minority in the Democratic Party or else this will not be their primary issue. Yeah, well, so this is, you know, both on charters and she also came out saying she's against high stakes testing and using it for high stakes decisions, which again... There's not a whole lot of left in federal policy. Uh, but, you know, on both of these issues, it's interesting. The Democratic coalition is split where, by and large, you do the polling and African-Americans and Latinos are much more supportive of charter schools and of testing uh, than are whites, especially white liberals. And so she does seem to be really going after this base voter of hers, which is the sort of highly educated white liberal voter uh, who are the ones when polled are most skeptical of charter schools uh, hate testing the most uh, it, but it does seem strange that the, you know that that does leave a whole lot of Democrats behind so maybe you're right maybe right now she's just given up on trying to win over African-American Latino voters and she just wants to make sure that she is not losing votes to Bernie that that, that, that she's think, pretty I, astute I think one other thing needs to be said she is she is this candidate of high principle and opposed to special interests and I'm just not understanding how uh, teacher union are any less of a special interest than big business or any of the other uh, things she hates and condemns and wants to be freed from. Yeah, no, I mean, now, and and uh, yet if you dig in, there are some things in here that are going to appeal to some people, uh, you know, some of the civil rights groups. There's certainly language in here about discipline disparities, the school to prison pipeline, beefing up the office for civil rights. I mean, you, you can look at all these ideas and my, my, it's like every bad idea on the left. And she just ignored the, you know, many good ideas on the left, uh, except perhaps I look, I, I, I'm not opposed to the idea of increasing title one funding. Uh, that is a good way to drive money, to poor schools, but with greater accountability, not less. Yeah. I mean, that's what you, that's the trade-off you'd want. If you're going to, I'm not opposed to spending the money, it, yeah. but, but to title one as it is special ed as it is just yeah. uh, dumping in more money. Blah. Well, she did say she wants to change the Taiwan formula. So I guess that's in there because she does have a lot of wonks working for her. So I was impressed that they, they know enough to that's say because that they, she's got big programs for every issue that you ever does. heard of or never thought of. I mean, I don't know, Checker. What do you think? Should we, uh, you know, you've got people in the reform world who are pretty freaked out by this, especially charter school supporters. Yes. Should they be? Or again, is this, we, we should not be taking, we should be taking her seriously, but not literally. What well, if she were to get elected president and the Democrats were to take the Senate, then it's possible that the Every Student Succeeds Act would get reopened and some of these things might get changed. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, this thing doesn't have a snowball's chance of being enacted. Yeah. What do you think, David? I, I am even more pessimistic than Checker. I think even if that happens, there are so many other priorities uh, that that voters would be clamoring for yeah. in that hypothetical scenario. I think climate change is way ahead of education and the agenda. Yeah. I think... I mean, there's any number of things she could go after, right? But um, I just, yeah, I, I think mm. it would be a political loser for her. Mm. I think she would lose moderates on it. Um, it would, I mean, that's, 
frankly, that's the one thing that lets me sleep at night with this plan, right? Which is that I think it's not going to happen. And that may be part of the calculation. Meanwhile, she's worsened climate change because she's raised so many people's temperatures. Oh, boy. Uh, I I thought, yes, okay. I thought there there was going to be some reference to cows, uh, methane. and uh, Anyways. uh, (laughs) It's disappointing, Mike. I have to be honest. It's still disappointing. It's disappointing. Um, it's really, it's, it's just a disappointing, um, well, it, you know, and, and here is a big shift. I mean, when I, you know, sort of came of age in the nineties, this was a time when, uh, you had politicians, Bill Clinton, of course, famously, uh, saying that he was going to be a different kind of, of Democrat. There was a third way. Um, there was a real political, mo- there was a motivation. There were incentives for uh, both Democrats and Republicans to play for the middle. I mean, George W. Bush with no child left behind was definitely playing for the middle. He was trying to show that he was not a Newt Gingrich kind of Republican. You know, what has changed? Why are we in this place where suddenly pandering to the teachers unions is smart politics again? Well, it's symbol of the diminishing bipartisanship of everything. I mean, in education policy in particular, uh, you can draw a nearly straight line from the first Bush through Clinton to the second Bush to Obama, mm-hmm. and the basic policy theme mm-hmm. uh, is much the same. Yeah. This would yeah. be a big shift. Yeah. No, that's right. And look, this is, it's it's in a polarized world. The center is not holding and let's admit it, education reform has been a pretty centrist thing uh, over the last 20 years. And I am homeless. So there's another problem she can solve. All of the other issue areas, I think, are laughing at us, Mike. I think they've been dealing with this for at least a decade. No. And we've been blessed, comparatively that's speaking. Right. And that's right. And I don't think... I don't think we can count on that anymore. No, I think that's right. Well, bless you, my son. (laughs) All right. Well, see, David, you've become a pessimist. Uh, Just uh, you've at least expressed pessimism in the same way that Checker has. It's good for him. It's good for him. He's come of age. He's come of age. All right. That is all the time we've got for pessimism uh, this week. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Always nice to have Checker on the show. You know, he's he he can curmudgeon it up unlike anybody else. <laughs> That's right. The original curmudgeon. That's right. But you should be proud. David's coming along. Ah, yes. Just kind of rubs off. Long it for him. I am increasingly just a dark cloud. <laughs> <laughs> good. That's good. All right, Amber, what about you? You have something cheerful for us this I week? I have a good news uh, study this week. It actually is like, you know, pragmatic um, advice for people in real school districts. So I think we're going to like this one. Ooh, okay. Uh, it's a new study out by researchers at the University of Michigan and others. They conducted a random experiment to see if a low-cost intervention would improve how cooperating teachers are assigned to their pre-service teachers. So specifically, a recommended list. Um, so anyway, I just remember, I just this is a small aside, when I was a teacher and also took on a student teacher, it was so haphazard how they did it, if, if our audience doesn't know. I mean, sometimes it's based on seniority, like a veteran teacher will get first dibs on the, on the new teacher, I mean, on the student teacher. Or the student teacher gets assigned to help the new struggling teacher, which really seems like a bad idea. Or um, you take turns in a department, or it's just whoever's willing to take one on if they have the time to do it. It's very rarely that it's actually, you know, take, takes cons- uh, effectiveness into consideration. So that's what this uh, study is trying to, you know, to try to improve. 
um, the process. So they conducted the study in partnership with the Tennessee Department of Education and a large teacher education program at the Tennessee Technological Institution where candidates must complete a year-long student teaching experience. So the study took place in 2017-18. In that year, the institution placed 162 teacher candidates in 22 neighboring districts. So you fill out your subject and grade level where you need to do your student teaching experience. And then you typically request the district or county to, you know, that you'd like to teach in so you won't, you know, have to drive an hour or whatever. And so what the analysts did was they took that information and then they used it to identify for every teaching candidate all the teachers that match their subject, grade level, and their requested district. And then they calculated a composite measure of instructional effectiveness based on that pool of teachers, value added, observation ratings, and years of experience. And they generated a list of the, quote, most instructionally effective and experienced cooperating teachers to guide recruitment um, of these teachers, right? And then only teachers basically in the upper three quintiles of the quality distribution were on that list. And so they organized the effectiveness of the teachers, sort of the, the most instructionally effective were at the top, And then, again, there's only a certain number that are on the list based on whether they're in the upper three quintiles. Then the researchers randomly assign neighboring districts to either receive this recommendation list or to the business-as-usual approach. And then district leaders in the entreatment group who get the list are basically told, you know, we would you know, advise you to use this list and start with the teachers at the top if you can. But if not, just use your judgment. And if you have to skip some teachers on the list, if you have a reason, you know, for having to skip, that's fine. So that's kind of the instructions that they were giving. All right. So their findings. um, Overall, after controlling for differences among the fields that teachers are placed in, they find that the average placement quality for cooperating teachers in treatment districts is 0.425 standard deviations higher than the placement quality for cooperating teachers in the control districts. In looking at individual quality measures, cooperating teachers in the treatment districts have on average VAM scores that are 0.68 standard deviation higher than cooperating teachers in control districts. Just an aside, we're we're technically looking at intent to treat uh, results here because we don't actually have data on how the lists were or were not followed. Note there. They also examine a variety of self-reported survey measures and find that student teachers who learned to teach with these more effective cooperating teachers also felt significantly better prepared to teach at the end of their training than those in the control group. That was about a 0.262 standard deviation difference in the two groups on whether they felt prepared to teach. Specifically, the treatment uh, group uh, was a lot higher on how they felt about their instructional skills and questioning techniques and things like that. And then mm-hmm. obviously the, the next stage of the work, because this is sort of a you know, multifaceted phase research project here, they're going to be looking at the bigger question of whether student teachers in the treatment districts are more effective during their first year of teaching. But we're not there yet. Okay. But I think mm-hmm. the big deal for me just reading the study is that it actually looks like there's a feasible low-cost method for raising the average effectiveness and experience of this pool of cooperating teachers simply by providing district leaders with actionable information in the form of a list. Um, So, you know, we give them information and they appear to use it. Right. And to see that in the control group that these teachers that were being picked as cooperating teachers were less effective, that does indicate that however they're choosing them in those control settings, uh, it is not 
based on effectiveness, right? I mean, again, as you would suspect, look, this is the kind of stuff, like you say, Amber, seems like low hanging fruit that we can do. Um, Not that it's easy. I mean, you still have to convince somebody to take on a a student teacher and they may not want to. Um, But look, that, you know, whatever we can do to get teachers to get better faster in those early years, uh, especially given how many uh, young teachers we tend to have, especially in high poverty schools. I mean, that is just a huge thing that can make an enormous difference in student achievement. Yeah, because we already knew. I mean, there's already been three or four high quality studies that have kind of shown that the quality of your cooperating teacher matters. So this was sort of like, you know, trying to back up and say, okay, we already sort of know it matters. So how can we make sure it happens? So, so Amber is, I mean, is the typical district incapable of generating this list, I guess? Well, in, in Tennessee, which was news to me, um, they are actually, it is in legislation that they're supposed to, um, you know, attempt to make a more effective match and choose student teachers. I mean, student cooperating teachers relative to effectiveness, but it doesn't tell them how you go about this or anything, but there is some attention paid to it. So I think that's why folks in Tennessee were particularly intrigued by trying to see, okay, how are districts already doing this? Because supposedly, you know, they're, they're supposed to be doing it already, but it appears as if they, they weren't, um, or they didn't know how to. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's some question about, you know, privacy. And I mean, the, the researchers were talking about, I mean, they did some sort of uh, qualitative piece of this, and they heard a lot of, you know, weren't really exactly sure what they what they were able to publish and let folks know in terms of individual teacher VAM and that sort of thing. All right, it's good. This is yeah. great, Amber. Yeah, it's I know. practical, uh, we right? It. It's Let's just put it put put yes. it on the to do list for school districts, right? I mean, there's some, you know, I think there's a whole bunch of reforms that are tough and hard, or maybe politically challenging, if not impossible, in some places. Something like this seems relatively feasible and yeah, you don't have to, yeah you don't have to tell the whole truth right you just <laughs> <Yes>. ask people <laughs> uh yeah right. that's right that's right we're like well we would have asked you but we know you're already busy yep. coaching the football <laughs> right. team mm-hmm. so we're not gonna ask you uh, for this one also yeah i mean i would think it would be kind of flattering i mean you know normally a cooperating teacher only gets a few hundred bucks anyway so I mean, just to be perhaps recognized in this way could could feel good to them. Who knows? Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right, good. Thanks, Amber. Thank you for cheering up our day. Yes, da- absolutely. David's a little a little less dark now. <laughs> all right. Visibly relieved. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that is all the time we've got for this week. So until next week, I'm David Griffith, and I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gap Life Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at FordhamInstitute.org. 